Hi, I'm Sheldon Clare, president of Canada's National Firearms Association. Sometimes I get asked questions about the national firearms concerns regarding the Arms Trade Treaty, which we strongly recommend that the government of Canada withdraws from. So I thought I'd take a few moments today to address those concerns. First of all, Canada's National Firearms Association does not support the inclusion of civilian small arms and light weapons in an arms trade treaty. As in our published submitted statements to the United Nations Arms Trade Treaty conferences, we prefer that small arms and light weapons include only crew-served weapon systems. This general aspect is present explicitly in Article 2 of the Scope, Part 1, Subsection H. We note that the frequent reference to the application of Articles 6 and 7 is a requirement in addition to those specified in the article with the use of the word and. In addition... The treaty is vague in many sections, and in our view, this vagueness opens doorways for many additional regulations and restrictions to be introduced in a treaty that we expect would be ever-expanding. In particular, the wording of Articles 6 and 7 apparently opens the possibility of Canada, Israel, or the United States, for example, being brought before the International World Court for arming some other country if some regime like Iran or North Korea or China objected to the United States or Canadian foreign policy, or in opposition to Israel's mere existence. Article 26 notwithstanding, who is to define any particular groups as terrorist or not? There are no known definitions of terrorists at the United Nations because of disagreement as to what that might be. Most of our comments relate to the control of these firearms, components, and ammunition intended for use in them. So, what are these concerns? Number one, Canada's National Firearms Association is concerned about Article 3, which would include controls over small arms ammunition. We believe that such control would do little but reduce accessibility for legitimate purposes and raise costs to ordinary people. Number two, Canada's National Firearms Association is concerned about Article 4 with its requirement over control of components. We don't see this as at all necessary. Number three, Canada's National Firearms Association is particularly concerned about all of Article 5, particularly Sections 2 and 4, which at Section 2 calls on states to, quote, establish and maintain a national control system, including a national control list, in order to implement the provisions of this treaty, unquote. Section 4 makes that issue even more offensive with, quote, number 4, each state party pursuant to its national laws shall provide its national control list to the Secretariat, which shall make it available to other states' parties. States' parties are encouraged to make their control lists publicly available. So, we see this vague phrasing as having the potential to create national firearms registries, which would be all the more offensive as they would be made public. Our fourth concern... We do not support the inclusion of Article 8, subsection 1, with its regards to, quote, end-user documentation, unquote, and submit that the end-user of small arms and ammunition cannot be known in the absence of a heavily regulated registration and licensing program, which we vigorously oppose. We have much the same concern about Article 12, especially subsection 3. Uh, our fifth concern, we do not support the inclusion of Article 8, subsection 4, in the absence of any clear statement supporting the legitimate use of firearms for personal defense. Why should preventing violence be t tied to gender, and it should be considered that self-defense may involve violence? Violence affects everybody. It's not just a gender issue. And our sixth concern, Canada's National Firearms Association is concerned that Articles 15 and 16 open the door to widespread corruption, as well as to costly demands for real and necessary assistance. 
We expect that Canada would push for fiscal responsibility at the United Nations to ensure that funding is better monitored and controlled. Improved financial controls would save more lives than this arms trade treaty ever would. Instead of seeing that kind of an argument, what we're seeing instead is more uh, arguments for gender-based issues and gender wording from the Canadian delegation on these matters. And that really isn't very helpful. Number seven. Canada's National Firearms Association is concerned about Article 16, subsection 1, and in particular its reference to model legislation. The United Nations model firearms legislation that has been published is extremely offensive and would represent significant additional burdens to Canadian firearms owners. Our eighth concern. Canada's National Firearms Association is concerned about Article 18, particularly the vague nature of subsection 3E and its potential for the expansion of the scope and additions to the treaty has related to Article 20. Canada's National Firearms Association recommends that Canada leaves the arms trade treaty. Our position is that the present domestic burdens on Canadian firearms owners are already excessive and the effect of this treaty is merely to add more onerous and costly requirements for firearms ownership, as well as to build further disrespect for firearms law. In our opinion, this treaty will not have the support of a significant proportion of the firearms owning public. Canada's National Firearms Association is a registered non-governmental organization at ECOSOC of the United Nations, and we are also a member of the International Civilian Arms Protection uh, Organization and the World Forum on the Future of Shooting Activities. We have participated in the Arms Trade Treaty and talks on the Program of Action in Small Arms and Light Weapons for over a decade. I hope these points are of interest to you. Thank you. I'm Sheldon Clare, President of Canada's National Firearms Association. If you like what you've seen, join us at www.nfa.ca. Thank you very much.